McCarthy bring you Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snurd, and Charlie's special guest, Orson Welles. Wake up, America, and stump the expert. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to our show. The show is a podcast about old-time radio. I'm Dan Howland, and I'm joined for the zillionth time in a row by my pal Tom Higgins. Hi, Tom. Hi, Dan. Every episode, we choose an old-time radio series or a genre, and we talk about its history, performers, importance, and legacy, and we try to figure out how it works. Tom, this is the subject you researched so tell us what it is. Well, this isn't exactly a genre or a show or a personality. These are two um, thought spaces, let's call them. And they are some thought spaces that old-time radio show had to deal with, and they did. And then somehow we forgot that they dealt with them. So this is kind of a reminder show to remind everyone that OTR was not just Johnson Fuller Wax and happy Whistle Vistas, it was also other things. Yeah, it was other... The times happened around them, and it wasn't all good stuff, and sometimes it reflected well upon itself, old-time radio. A lot of times it did. There are times where it certainly did not. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, you know, Amos and Andy was on at the same time that all this other stuff was happening. So, And just to let people know, we understand that there were things like Amos and Andy and even Rochester and, and all this other stuff. That, you know, Beulah from Gildersleeve. That was, mm -hmm. to say the very least, problematic. Yeah. We're not going to dwell on those things so much. We're going to take a look maybe, at some... Maybe in a future episode. Maybe in a... Yeah. But this episode, we're going to speak to... Two topics that have recently come back around and uh, old TR. Yeah, it seemed timely to do this episode. It, it, yeah, when we first came on this uh, topic, we wanted to do it the day we came up with it. Right. And then we were like, no, let's research something. <laughs> let's a little do bit a first. little research rather than just be fools. Well, what are those two? What are those two okay, things? Okay, I, I you absolutely. Just tell, yeah, why don't we just I say it flat out? Right in, now? It is um, the Nazis, the 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 the, the white supremacist racist uber race uber duber super uber duber men who think they are going to storm across the world and become the master race and the uh, kkk the uh the kind of white supremacist group in america that has taken it upon itself to interpret the bible in such a way that the purity of the white race must prevail by at all costs Right. And that's not happening today. We we beat that way back in the Second World nobody, War, didn't we? Nobody is carrying tiki torches with bad uh, right. leisure suit clothing on talking about right. white supremacy anymore. Right. Okay, so so you had an outline. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've, who's, who and what are the people involved in this stuff? So very briefly, uh, listening through this show, you're going to hear, uh, we're going to, and if you don't like any of these things or feel any of these topics are not in your wheelhouse, just feel free to skip over them. But kind of in a rough outline, we're going to talk about uh, the race for the master race, which is basically Father Coughlin versus Eddie Cantor. Uh, two very unlikely pairings. Very, yes, that's a pretty unlikely uh, celebrity death match. The 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 Irish the Irish priest for the purity of the race versus mm -hmm. uh, the Popeye the, Eddie Cantor. Yes, the little <laughs> the nebbish. The the little yes, the sissy. I was gonna say. Oh, he, you he could have played not. a bit of a sissy. 
And that anyway, is a topic we're not going to hit on, actually. No, in this, not this time. No, okay. no LGBT issues this time. No. Uh, then we're going to move into Punch a Nazi, Life During Wartime. And this is going to be shows like Dear Adolf, You Can't Do Business with Hitler. An amazing show that does not get nearly enough coverage, which was a one-off show uh, called The Battle for the Wasser Ghetto. And be prepared to get the tissues out, ladies and folks, because this one is a tearjerker, and rightfully so. And then we're also going to mention um, some other things about going to war. Just Morrow reporting how radio actually stood up to the Nazis and said, I'm sorry, Mr. German uh, supremacist, uh, you are not going to be able to come to our country, no less carry tiki torches and walk around right. a confederate. Well, monument. during the Second World War, the attitude was we beat them before, we'll beat them again. That's right. We did you it before. Know, so. Yes. Yeah, the Kaiser was not going to, the Kaiser kids were not going to take over. And they thought they put it to rest back then. And then, well, you know. <laughs> right. And then the second uh, area is the civil rights stuff. Civil rights. And covered. There's a couple of really well-known things like um, Superman versus the KKK. That was a very real thing. It is well-known among our circle of fans of old-time radio, but it definitely deserves to be rediscovered constantly. That's actually a pretty pretty wonderful little storyline. It is a beautiful gem. Orson Welles, and we hit on this last episode, so if you were with us last episode— you're going to hear the very first repeat of a clip on our show of shows podcast, and because it's such a good clip, we gotta we gotta play it twice yeah, just in case it. you. Yeah. So Orson Welles actually had a great show. Um, there are two shows which we're going to kind of look at, which I think are totally forgotten at this point, but need to really come back around. Uh, a new world to come in and destination freedom. This was a look at black life in America during the 40s and early 50s in a way that did not in any respect code it or hide it or soften it. it. It, I mean, these shows are the deal. Like if you played them today, they would cause a ruckus, as the Wu-Tang Clan would say. There'd be a ruckus coming on. Well, I'm pleased that you mentioned those because I'd never heard of them. So I'm looking forward to digging into those later. But I heard about Destination Freedom, A New World Coming was totally new to me. And it was one of those shows when I, I found a hint of it and then found the shows and listened to them. I was really ashamed that I had not heard these before because they need to be heard. Um, then we're going to talk about how black and white integration kind of happened under rock and roll. Gene Shepard's look at the March on Washington. And then we're going to touch real briefly on how radio was used by local DJs for Black Lives Matter type events in, in a way that I did not know about. And it was very interesting to, to uncover this. So this brings us from the 30s up until the 60s for radio. So we're, we're hitting a big chunk of old time radio. Okay. Well, go ahead. You were gonna, were you gonna start with uh, Father Conklin? Was that? The yeah, first? we're gonna start with the, with the Good Father. So um, go back to the 1920s. Um, you got the horrors of World War One at your heels. Uh, broadcasting really took off after the 1920s. People got radios. Um, the UK was the first country to really put up the towers and start broadcasting stuff. In America, we had the. Um, we had a bunch of things happen, including the big fight with Westinghouse and all these guys about who owned radio. But pretty quickly, everyone had to sit in their house. It wasn't a hobby anymore. People were listening as consumers of content. 
so much so that America came up with um, the Federal Radio Commission, which later became the FCC. Right. And this was set up to control the sale and use of the frequencies. And this will come back time and time again about public good and public content. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly what you had was music and comedy and drama and current events. And people love this stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that very quickly caught on was, of course, religion. People loved church, loved to hear the sermons and the gospels and the, the, the things that made them happy. But, you know, going out on Sunday morning, I got a radio. Why not sit and listen? <laughs> so there was a Roman Catholic priest named Father Coughlin. Um, he began his radio work in 1926, and at first he spoke he spoke the good word. He spoke religion. He was a Catholic, so we talked to the Catholic religion specifically. But then as the 1930s came around, um, he uh, started talking more about politics. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he became a fierce anti-communist, and at first he was a big fan of FDR, like FDR was the man in... And as soon as FDR started talking New Deal and stuff, that was a little too red for him. Mm-hmm. So he began uh, he began talking against that. So by 1934, he founded the National Union for Social Justice. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you'll, I'm you, just thinking yes. about how that's an insult now that social justice warriors. He was have... your first radio social justice warrior for God. Yes, on the right. Okay. <laughs> So, by 1936, Father Coughlin, who was doing a lot of thinking and talking on this topic of godless communism and socialism and how we are going down the wrong path, he came up with the real reason why all this was happening. And lo and behold, that reason was the Jews. It was the Jews. It's always you guys' fault. Herr Juden, there was this book out at the time called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. And when you're a kid, you think it's a joke. And then you realize yeah. it was a real thing. Well, when you say it was a real thing, it was a real hoax. It but was, a, yeah, yeah. It was like the it, Necronomicon. It actually was a hoax. But yeah, it yes. was like every kid finds the Necronomicon after they read H.P. Lovecraft. Right. Every talk show every talk radio show host seems to find the protocols of the elders of zion as soon as they realize it's the problem that the jews are the problem um from there it was a hop skip and a flaming sword jump into jewish world domination he he basically went off um and here's a quote from the time on november 20th 1938 two weeks after kristallnacht this was the nazi attack on german jews and jewish synagogues and jewish-owned businesses Coughlin, referring to the millions of Christians killed by the communists in Russia, and said, Jewish persecution only followed after Christians were first persecuted. Which is another thing that we see today with them inverting who the victim is of everything. It, you, yes, it's, it's always, it always comes back to, well, yeah, but you started it. So... Somehow the Jews and the Christians and so yeah, it was at this point that the resistance against him began to spring up. Uh, the big stations in New York and Chicago just flat out refused to broadcast his speeches, and only let his show on based on pre-approved scripts. 
Uh, some stations in New York City canceled the show outright. His followers picketed some of the stations using slogans like send Jews back where they came from. Wait until Hitler comes over here. Yeah. Again, you think you think about this. This is 1936, mm-hmm. 1937, and there are people saying, wait till Hitler comes over here. Right. Looking forward to it, yeah. Yeah, we think about, oh, no, no one was a Nazi in America. No one was a Nazi in Britain. We were all fighting the Nazis. Um, No. (laughs) No, not, you know, and America was trying to stay out of the war as long as it conceivably could. So in 36, that's, you know, that's several years before we realized that we got to get in there, so. So reports surfaced that Coughlin was receiving indirect funding from the German government itself. And while this was never substantiated. Fake news. Yes, Fake of course. News. Fake news. <laughs> so um, Coughlin, of course, saw that an ally in an organization named the Christian Front, which claimed him as an which inspiration. Was a, weren't they straight edge punks? Oh, no. That, yeah, no not the, the agnostic front forebearers. Yeah. Right. And for the three listeners who get that, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so he, he teamed up with Christian Front, and this organization actually claimed that he was an inspiration, though afterwards they claimed he was never an official member. And then in January 1940, a New York City unit of the Christian Front was raided by the FBI FBI, uh, for plotting to overthrow the government. Now, the the rhetoric went deep and dark. How dark? Various Christian groups came out to call for his removal from the radio, including the Vatican itself. The notoriously liberal Vatican. Uh, But even the Vatican said, we'd like him to leave, but we can't because it's our diocese that control these things. Um, And basically, in the end, it was FDR himself, the arch communist himself, who put an end and canceled his broadcasts. Hmm. Um, Toward the end, though, Coughlin himself started distancing himself from the Nazi connection and eventually claimed he was not anti-Semitic, but rather wanting to help the good Jews. So his, his exact quote was, and this is, I love this one, my purpose is to help eradicate from the world its mania for persecution to help align all good men, Catholic and Protestant, Jew and Gentile, Christian and non-Christian, in a battle to stamp out ferocity, the barbarianism, and the hate of this bloody era. I want the good Jew with me, and I'm called a Jew bather, an anti-Semite. Quote Father Coughlin. His local bishop, Bishop Mooney, basically finally finally said, Father Coughlin, you're off the air. And he was told to stay in his parish. He continued to be a parish priest until his death many years later in the Shrine of the Little Flower. LaGuardia? That's a very good one, yeah. So the the big thing to take away from this was here was radio, a new medium, and immediately, not immediately, but fairly soon after it caught on, this type of thing was on it. But even back then, people knew enough to be like, no, this is wrong, man. This is not, you don't get to be a Nazi on the radio. I'm sorry, no. And we had a president back then who was able to distinguish between free speech 
and a Nazi spreading hate, Father Coughlin. So as Father Coughlin was spreading this hate, amongst the voices that really slung against him. I was really surprised when you told me about this. So Eddie go ahead. Cantor. Little Eddie, Eddie Cantor. Oh, oh, oh. He's a very, very strange character to be on this uh, fighting on our side. It just he's the character that he played was this little Nancy, you know, just really yeah, silly, yeah. Uh, sissy kind of a character, kind of a oh goody goody kind of. You know. But people love that, and he played it in vaudeville, on radio, in the movies, on television. Well, in his early years, he was a blackface comedian. So we do have to, once again, as, yes. as ever, we do have to point out, uh, even the guys on our side sometimes are problematic. So early on in his career, he took to politics of showbiz. Um, he, was, he was an early member of Actors' Equity in 1919, and he, uh, he was actually their second president of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, he actually called for strikes. He was the one who would agitate for better working conditions. He helped create the March of Dimes to combat polio. Yeah, um, I remember reading that at some point. Yeah. Yeah, polio was huge back then. I mean, that was a big, big cause. Um, it was at the 1939 World's Fair, though, that Cantor publicly denounced the anti-Semitic rantings of our old friend Father Coughlin. And Cantor used the radio. He was he was there a, a broadcast from the thirty nine fair? There was, was a broadcast. The there was several broadcasts from the thirty nine World's Fair. Uh -huh. There were live talks he gave. There were radio shows he was doing where he mentioned it. It came out early and often during this time. Um, but even though the president was able to speak out against Father Coughlin, a Jewish per person speaking out against him. Not so nice. And let's just say Camel Cigarettes, his sponsor, dropped him. The the deal with the, the sponsorship thing is that you're always at risk if you speak up about something, about your sponsor saying, oh, that's too controversial and dropping you. And a lot of sponsors won't, yeah, they won't grow a spine to this day. Yeah. And on the plus side, the sponsors and even the radio stations stopped Father Coughlin in his tracks somewhat by demanding his scripts be pre-approved. On the flip side, you get Eddie Cantor rocking the boat the other way. And, you know, but then again, we start getting this whole idea of there are good people on both sides. No, <laughs> Father Coughlin was wrong and Eddie Cantor was right. I'm sorry. That's not controversial. So his sponsor, Camel Cigarette, was Camel Cigarettes, and they dropped him. They dropped him. And then, but he was massively popular, so he went back on the air. He was and... off the air for a year and a half. He okay. was gone. It, yeah. took, it took Jack Benny yeah. well to get him back on the air. Without that, he might well have, you know, moved on to movies or pulled an Orson Welles and go to Europe or something. Right. Uh, talks on other radio about the goings-on in Europe and anti-Semitism of Coughlin and others. It was there, but, you know, given Cantor was yanked off the air, a lot of people shied away from it. And because the country was not in any the, way unified. The classic chilling effect. Yeah, huge chilling effect. And you see this. I mean, we're talking, you know, 20 years after the medium was created, and we're getting all these things we know so well now. Mm-hmm is set into place. Um, 
One of the things that did come out of Eddie Cantor's thing was the creation of the AJC, the American Jewish Committee. And the American Jewish Committee was set up to be a group of Jewish actors and performers and also citizens and good standing people mm-hmm. to use whatever medium they could to fight anti-Semitism and the spread of Nazism, which they did not like. They had a specific agreement, not agreement, but they had a specific plan that they called salting in. And this was to go to the radio shows and talk to the writers and the producers to get a Jewish sounding character in, to get a Jewish voice in, to get any sort of empathy <laughs> into onto the airwaves so people can hear Jewish families being Jewish families mm-hmm. and they're not you know devils with horns eating young Christian babies. Wasn't there wasn't there a, a show called the Gold the Goldbugs? Oh, yes. I've never heard it, but I, I know I have, of it. My father used to go on about that show, and I listened to it for a couple episodes. And, and it was a um, bit much. Y- y- let's just say it's the Amos and Andy of Jewish shows. Okay, <laughs> though I think right. they actually had Jewish actors, but for me, it was just a little too schmaltzy. It was, it was a little too much Jew face. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> One of the amazing things, <laughs> yeah, you totally derailed me. All right, that's hang a, on. no, it's good. No, no, hang no, on. we're good. We're good. No, keep that in. Keep that in. We're keeping okay. that in. All right, that's in. Okay, you made me laugh in a time of sorrow. This is good. This is yeah, what radio right, is right, for. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, I didn't know much about the uh, about the Goldbergs, so you know, the, the I Goldbergs never listened was, to yeah. it, and I probably would have just turned yeah. up my nose immediately upon listening because. But one of the things that the AJC did was they worked with NBC and they came up with a couple of shows. The Notable Show is a show that actually depicted what was going on in Germany. Americans either didn't know or didn't want to know what was going on in Germany because, again, this was not a unified country against Germany up until the point we were. Before we were, there were rallies in Madison Square Garden in defense of Hitler. Now let that sink in. They filled Madison Square Garden with supporters of Hitler. Mm-hmm. In America in the late 1930s. So one of the things that the AJC really wanted to do was bring home what was happening in Europe. And they did a play on NBC radio called The Battle of the Warsaw Ghetto. And it was a one-off. It was a one-off play. It was uh, good actors, good screenwriting, uh, good screenwriting, good, good play, no, good radio writing. <laughs> Um, it was an amazing piece. I'm still not – as we record this, I'm still not sure what little clip I'm going to play for you. But we're going to play a little clip. And uh, But I want you guys to really go into the show notes and listen to this whole show. It's dramatic. It's pretty on the money for what was happening in Warsaw at the time. And a lot of Americans who heard this either said this was fake news or, oh, my God, what the heck is going on over there? All right, so here's the clip. That voice was silenced, but they brought up the regular army. The ghetto had defeated the stormtroopers, and now it was the ghetto against the German army. We retreated slowly from our positions as they sent flamethrowers, mortar, cannon, tanks, and planes against us. April 20th, April 25th, May 2nd, May 6th, May 10th, May 14th, May 18th, May 20th, May 22nd, May 25th, 
They planted landmines under the tenements and blew them up one by one. The tenements crumbled. But from the rubble of the shattered cellars, the snipers kept up a continuous fire. The surviving men and women and children retreated slowly from house to house, erecting barricades in the streets, paying with their lives for every tenement, every room, every step of the way. When their ammunition ran out, they used broken furniture as clubs and hurled stones. On the 20th day, the enemy shut off the water supply and planes dropped incendiary bombs. The entire ghetto was in flames. Those who were not burned alive were slaughtered by the Nazis. Isaac Davidson. Isaac. Here. In the trench. His right arm had been blown off at the elbow. I spoke to him. Here, let me tie a tourniquet round your arm. Don't waste the bandage on me. Tell me how it is going. We're still fighting. After 37 days... A few Jews with guns fighting a Nazi army for 37 days. The blood ran from the shattered stump and soaked the ground, but he smiled. They are really very foolish. They should have known that the ghetto would explode. They know now, my friend. How, how many did we kill? Some say a thousand, some say 1,200. The smile lingered on his lips even as his eyes began to glaze. And he spoke an epitaph for the Warsaw Ghetto. It is not for thee to complete the work. But neither art thou free to desist from it. Tell them. Tell them to mark that on my grave. Yes. Tell them to mark it on our graves. It is not for thee to complete the work, but neither art thou free to desist from it. Pretty dramatic, and it was the first time that we got that level of stuff. Uh -huh. In 1942, there is a show called Dear Adolf, and oh my goodness, you, you, you get the sense that the tide of this country is turning. Uh -huh. So, there was a six-week run program NBC again. NBC seemed to be the place where a lot of this stuff happened. And it was Hollywood stars, uh, James Cagney, Raymond Macy, Ellen Hayes, addressing the Fuhrer in the guise of ordinary citizens. And we're going to play a clip of the intro for you because the intro is really cool. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with the Council for Democracy, presents Dear Adolf, a series of six narrative letters written each week by Stephen Vincent Benet, one of the nation's greatest poet writers. These broadcasts are based upon actual letters written to Hitler by Americans. Our first program presents Raymond Massey, distinguished actor of stage, screen, and radio, relating the views of an American farmer as he addresses a letter to Hitler. Will you get me the pen and ink, Mother? I want to write a letter. Got time enough for once. Weather looks as if it would hold. No, I'm not going to write to the boy. Wrote him last week to the camp. And told him how things were going. 
He knows how it is. He was brought up on a farm. But there's lots of folks don't know. Got it on my mind ever since the boy went away. Kind of boiling and steaming up in me to say a few things to that fellow over in Germany that started all this trouble. Want to tell him just who I am and what I'm thinking. Maybe it's time I did. Got the pen, Mother? Oh, thank you. Now, you just let me think it out. A great little clip, great show. I, You guys should go listen to it. There's six episodes in the whole thing. It's really good. Another – go ahead. Go ahead. You were going to say? No, no. I was just going to – I was just going to – introduce your next one i was going to say your next one is something called you can't do business with hitler which i have not heard of yet um this was based on a book by the same name uh published in 1941 by douglas miller and the book describes his experience working in germany in the 1930s in 1939 he resigned his position at the american embassy in berlin and became a staunch opponent of the nazi regime philosophies business methods the whole he hated the whole thing mm-hmm. His greatest fear was that the Nazi economic and social system would move to America, causing repression and violence. Now, let me repeat that. There was a fear by many people that the Nazi way of life was going to be accepted in America. Again, we think that we were always against Nazism. No. No, no. (laughs) An American diplomat felt it in his heart to say, no, no, seriously, you're not seeing the bigger picture. And right. you can't do business with Hitler was his way of talking about how Germany controls thought, controls commodities, starts right. controlling other countries. Um, you know, he gets into like, you know, for example, American law exporters found a difficult market in Nazi Germany for American goods. Somehow mm-hmm. the Germans didn't like our lard. And <laughs> good American lard was not good <laughs> enough for the for the for the Reich. So like lard isn't good enough for you, Adolf. Yeah, we'll give you one. So this was again um a well pedigreed show, it was directed and produced by some good folk. You're talking here in your show notes about some dishonest trade deals. There was a whole bunch of shenanigans with uh the Germans and Brazilian coffee. Mm-hmm. Um there was um uh, growers of currants in Greece were getting stiffed by the Nazis. Imagine that. The Nazis were stiffing non-Germans. Really? They, so they didn't pay the people that they were supposed to pay? No. And, and then on top of that, the icing on the cake for uh, for Douglas Miller was not only is he a bad business person, yeah, he also um, does mass murder and yeah. he also represses religion and he's also not that good on education other than pure Nazi education. Indoctrination, yeah. Yeah. So, hmm. So education, business, and religion being messed with by a strong this leader. This is what happens when you run a country like a business. Oh, yeah, you go. You can't do business with, um, who are we talking about? Hitler. Hitler, that's Hitler, right. of Hitler. course. Yeah, it was Hitler. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I advise you guys to definitely... Listen to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, extra homework assignment, credit stuff. Go listen to all of the field reports of Edward R. Murrow. Edward Murrow is a hero for many reasons. 
Um, during the war, he is a hero for just sitting out there in the fields and talking about the parachutes coming down. Um, he is putting into a clean perspective why it is we're there. And there is never a doubt in his voice that killing a Nazi is, a good, is not a bad thing. There's never, oh, well, maybe let's go check to make sure in this village if there are any good Nazis here. No, no. <laughs> Some are good people. No. The other thing to listen to as well, and this is all over the place, so this is nothing. Um, you can find it on all of this stuff on archive.org, but the liberation of the concentration camps. Um, you would have to be a pure denier to listen to some of those and not realize why it's problematic to be living in a totalitarian state. Right. And radio was there to cover it. Let's move on and solve all the problems about civil rights, shall we, Tom? Let's solve this once and for all. Everyone, let's get our heads together and golly let's, gee. Let's I, I go gotta... back and start in 1945 and get this all sorted out. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Yeah. So, so we're, we're back to Orson, and we, we talked about Orson in the previous episode and, and mentioned this show, the Orson Welles Commentaries, which was, which was an interesting thing and new to me. You know, yeah. When, when we did that, when I was researching that, I went, whoa, that's that's pretty, pretty great. In fact, this clip is getting the first ever played in two episodes of our show of shows, because this was the clip that when I listened to when you were doing your show notes, I said, holy Jeep and Jehoshaphat's. We need to do a show about race problems and, well, we'll throw in the Nazis because they were on my screen at the time, again, with Tiki Torches, not an old film. And it, this one bit that we're going to play again. This is the thing about, uh, is it, have I got the name right, Isaac Woodard? Isaac Woodard. I seem to remember yeah. Orson got it wrong in the first one, something like that. Anyway. Yeah, he got it wrong and he made, and he also got a couple of the facts wrong and he later corrected himself. He mm -hmm. got the town name wrong at That's one right. point and the other town called him and he, he you got to listen to, so Orson Welles had this show of commentaries and it started in 1945 and it was sponsored by Lear Radio, the guy who made the Learjet and a couple other things. And everything and was eight great. Tapes. And 8-track tapes. I don't want to mention 8-track tapes. Go ahead. Learjets with 8-track tapes. That's what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. um, and everything was great. He was commenting on the world and what he saw and art and all this other stuff. And then he got a letter from the NAACP that talked about a black veteran. This guy was in the war. This guy uh -huh. fought in the war for America. And um, as he was just the day, like the week he was discharged, he was trying to get back home and he was beaten blind by a South Carolinan police officer. Uh -huh. Hours after he was honor honorably discharged, this man did nothing wrong other than being black on a bus in South Carolina. Being black and not taking any guff. He was asking to stop to use the bathroom. Yeah. And exactly. they told him, yeah. Uh, so, they beat him blind. This man was blind for the rest of his life. And mm -hmm. no one was saying much about it. The NAACP got Orson the details, and Orson went on the air, and he took up the cause like you would not believe. Because yeah. he's had a, he's, he has a running record of not liking racism. And 
Well, it cost Orson the show, essentially, because his sponsor didn't like that. Lear didn't like Lear didn't like the controversy in the same way that uh, Camel didn't like controversy with Eddie Cantor. Yep, and Orson was kind of that was it. He was done with America for a while. He yeah, took he, over was done, Europe he was after certainly that. done with American radio for that was pretty much the end of his American radio career. So we're going to we're going to play this clip and again I want you guys just to sit back and listen to this clip and then go back and listen to the whole he did several shows about this topic and each one of them could be played on the nightly news tonight and it would make so much sense that the vice president would turn off his radio or leave whatever sports skating he's in and here's here's Orson again Good morning this is Orson Welles speaking I'd like to read to you an affidavit. I, Isaac Woodward Jr., being duly sworn to depose and state as follows, that I am 27 years old and a veteran of the United States Army, having served for 15 months in the South Pacific and earned one battle star. I was honorably discharged on February 12, 1946, from Camp Gordon, Georgia, at 8.30 p.m. at the Greyhound Terminal, Atlanta, Georgia. While I was in uniform, I purchased a ticket to Winsboro, South Carolina, and took the bus headed there to pick up my wife to come to New York to see my father and mother. About one hour out of Atlanta, the bus driver stopped at a small drugstore. As he stopped, I asked him if he had time to wait for me until I had a chance to go to the restroom. He cursed and said no. When he cursed me, I cursed him back. When the bus got to Aiken, he got off and went and got the police. They didn't give me a chance to explain. The policeman struck me with a billy across my head and told me to shut up. After that, the policeman grabbed me by my left arm and twisted it behind my back. I figured he was trying to make me resist. I did not resist against him. He asked me... Was I discharged? And I told him yes. When I said yes, that is when he started beating me with a billy, hitting me across the top of the head. After that, I grabbed his billy and wrung it out of his hand. Another policeman came up and threw his gun on me and told me to drop the billy, and he dropped me, so I dropped the billy. After I dropped the billy, the second policeman held his gun on me while the other one was beating me. He knocked me unconscious. After I commenced to come to myself, he all would get up. When I started to get up, he started punching me in my eyes with the end of the billy. When I finally got up, he pushed me inside the jailhouse and locked me up. I woke up next morning and could not see. A policeman said, let's go up here and see what the judge says. I told him that I could not see how to come out. I was blind. He said, feel your way out. He said, I'd be all right after I washed my face. He led me to the judge. And after I told the judge what happened, he said, we don't have that kind of stuff down here. Then the policeman said... He wrung my billy out of my hand, and I told him if he didn't drop it, I'd drop him. That's how I knew it was the same policeman as had beat my eyes out. After that, the judge spoke and said, I fine you $50 for 30 days in the road. And I said I'd pay the $50, but I did not have the $50 at the time. So the policeman said, you have some money there in your wallet. He took my wallet and took out all I had. That was a total of $40 and took $4 from my watch pocket. I had a check for $694.73, which was my mustering out pay and soldier's deposit. He said to me... Can you see how to sign this check? You have a government check. I told him, no, sir. So he gave it back to me after that. Took me back and locked me up in the jail. The policeman did, and I stayed in there for a while. And after a few minutes, he came and asked me if I wanted a drink of whiskey. I, if I took a drink of whiskey, he said I'd feel better. I told him, no, sir. Didn't care for any. About 5.30 that evening, they took me to the Veterans Hospital in Columbia, South Carolina. One of the contact men came around one day and said to me they were going to take out a pension for me. I believe that the doctor who cared for me was named Dr. Clarence. I told him what had happened to me. He made no comment, but told me I should join a blind school. Sworn to me, this 23rd day of April, 1946. Very moving speech by Orson. He keeps on it. And then when he gets criticized for what he said, 
his comebacks are amazing. Yeah. So. But he wasn't the only voice. And in fact, it, it's, it's important to remember that there were actual black voices in America on the radio at this time. It's hard mm -hmm. to... It's hard to find this when you look at old-time radio show catalogs to find strong black voices that aren't supporting roles or porters or mm -hmm. singing a song for you. Right. One of these shows that I, I knew nothing about until I started researching this show was New World a Coming. And the author of this, it was a book written by Vincent Lushington Otley, who was known as Roy Otley. Um, he wrote it um, as kind of a look at black America in the 1930s and early 1940s, specifically black America in Harlem, New York City. And his book does not pull any punches, and the radio show based on the book pulls absolutely no punches. And this started broadcasting, um, I want to say it was 1944 that it started. And yeah, yeah. It, it, it was the year after the book got published, so it had to be 44. Okay. And it was broadcast from New York City, WMCA, which was a station that was known for doing stuff like this and other community-related stuff. And it totally focuses and totally pulls no punches about black lives in America, including the types of political conundrums you're in when you're serving in the army as a black person and you're fighting for the country and you come back home and what do you get? Right. And you're living in a city that treats you differently than someone living 10 blocks next to you. And your healthcare is different than the person who's a lighter shade than you. And when you're working, you're treated differently. You can't even right. get certain jobs. How does that impact you? as a person and they really do not again this is a show that you could play today and it would cause a ruckus because and you can i can see even now as i'm looking at the archive.org page there are zero reviews of this show because it's largely forgotten history and not a lot of people know about it it's not mentioned a lot it's kind of there well i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into that later that's that's another one of interest yeah the show kind of runs out of book material about a year into it and then they start looking at minorities not just black but not not just black lives but other lives just like game of thrones <laughs> what <laughs> they just run out of book material and oh, then they start yeah. coming up with these new just diverges well you know right. un uh, unlike game of thrones for new world to come in mm -hmm. the problems kept making themselves Right. So they kept having the material did not stop getting created. In That's fact, right. they could yeah. they could have kept running the show mm -hmm. forever, Till and it today. still would, it, yeah. it still would be relevant. Right. So yeah, definitely listen to it because in the later shows it gets into other minority groups and other locations. But again, if you're not used to seeing this and you you hear this on the if you were back there in the 1940s and you heard this on the radio. And then you hear about old time radio now. You never would have known this existed. This, this no, is you know, no. in the land of Jack Benny, George Burns, and and you know, uh, um, Amos and Andy, Amos and Andy, and and you know, you you never would have heard this. Yeah. Along the same lines, and I haven't noted this anywhere here, but um, during the war, there were tons of music programs to entertain the troops. Mm -hmm. So we were still such a divided country 
that there was a special radio show just for the black troops called Jubilee. And I will post a link to Jubilee. Jubilee is a series of musical shows for the um, wartime soldier in -hmm. wartime, but it was specifically geared for black black soldiers. soldiers. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, you hear about all the G.I. Jive and Mailbox and Blah Blah Roll Call and all these other shows. You Mm -hmm. never hear about Jubilee. Wow. I'll Uh, have to dig into that one. Okay. Yeah, I'll put the show notes. So. The next one on the list is one that I've heard and really liked. The I'll go ahead. It's the Adventures of Superman. What is more all-American than the Man of Steel? No, he's an alien. He's an he's an immigrant. He's an alien. There's even a book out somewhere called "Was Superman Jewish?" Do you know about that? He was. Yes, he, he was. was re- he was written he's hiding by his, hiding his strength and identity, and yeah. He, he one day he's going to pull out the matzah of power, and you know, <laughs> well um, he was written by you know some nice Jewish kid, nice and, Jewish and, boys, yeah. Um, but Superman for years was the guardian of goodness and rightness and stuff, and Superman had his time dealing with race issues. They were running out of story ideas is the way I heard it. They were and they were casting around asking anybody who would who had a good idea for a story. And they hit upon this guy, Stetson Kennedy. Stetson Kennedy, he infiltrates the Klan and other racist and terrorist groups. And he has to work his way up the food chain. He he gets the producers of Superman to look at the story. And they were looking for new villains, and they they agreed. They were like, this, I yeah. think a lot of Superman stuff was battling racketeers. Well, there was a it, lot of that. A lot of racketeers. There were a couple of Japanese and German bad guys because yeah. you know, this is. But the war was over. So they they agreed to actually take some of his his stories about the Klan and turn them into a Superman story. Lightly fictionalizing the Klan. Lightly fiction. They call it the Clan of the Fiery Cross. Clan with a C. Clan with a C. So it's the CFC, not the KFC. Right. The CFC. <laughs> KFC is okay. a whole different conspiracy that was altogether. Your turn to get me. <laughs> okay, go. go ahead. Um, so the result was a series of episodes called the Clan of the Fiery Cross, in which Superman took on the Clan, and Kennedy intended to strip away the Clan's mystique. Mm-hmm. Um, they supposedly peppered the show with code words and and they wanted to basically use the show to demystify the clan and to really open it up and say, look at these maroons, what they're doing in robes and blah, blah, blah. Well, I remember the very end of the series was the head of the clan of the Fiery Cross essentially saying to the guy who's trying to escape Superman – He's saying, uh, you didn't really believe all that junk, did you? That was just to sell robes. It's just for the robes. Yeah, yeah, the punchline of it was like, you sucker. This was all just to just to make a buck. Well, basically, it reportedly, the Klan leaders did not like this yeah, show. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. They called Kellogg's cereal and... Um, but you know what? And tried they, to get a boycott going. They yeah. tried to get a boycott going because, you know, 
who likes Kellogg's and the Klan? One mm-hmm. begins with C, one begins with K. But, mm-hmm. um, but the the story arc earned spectacular ratings, and the food company, because it had such great ratings, yeah. I, I want to think, stood by <laughs> they Superman. Had, they had the courage of their ratings. Yes, you know, they had the courage to stand by what was right, and I'm sure today we would have heard that there were good people on both sides of the story, but back then Kellogg said, "Nope." Clan bad, Superman good. And we were able to say that back then. It's fun it's a funny story though, because you could take Superman out of it. It Superman has a bit to do with it, but you could just make it Clark Kent. I mean, you could well, most of it was Clark Kent, yeah. really. Superman yeah. came in for the save a couple times. Yeah. The other thing to remember though is that if you're listening to this particular run of Superman shows, go back a couple of story arcs because this does not start with the Clan of the Fiery Cross. It actually starts much for not much further, but a, a two or three story arcs before where there is a group of people, uh, a gang, basically, making fun of Jewish kids and trying to throw out um, Jewish businesses. And it's Clark Kent's investigation on that that leads him to the oh, clan of the fiery yeah. cross. Okay. So go back a couple of story arcs before you start this. Now we Can have we... a clip. Oh, we have a clip that comes from one of the earliest story arcs. It doesn't come from clan of the fiery cross. It comes from I forget the name of the, I forget the name of the arc, but right, it's well. the one previous arc before it. And it's Superman basically setting the tone for the entire three or four arc series okay. that specifically talks about hate and stuff. So we're going to run it. We don't like people who push other people around. We don't like people who spread hatred and suspicion. I was only trying to protect America from foreigners. Go on. You know, America was founded by what you call foreigners. Right, Jim. Tell me, Hill, was it because you were trying to protect America that you told Muggs and his gang to set fire to Dave Hoffman's drugstore? Hoffman's a Jew. The Jews are trying to run the world. Hoffman's an American, regardless of his religious preference. Besides, as I recall, that was one of Herr Hitler's favorite lines. What about little Danny O'Neill? He's Catholic and comes of Irish parents, yet you had him beaten within an inch of his life. That's a lie. I had nothing to do with it. Of course not. Rats like you get others to do their dirty work. What about Dr. Leeds, a good Protestant minister? You almost succeeded in killing him. Is he a foreigner? You forgot Rabbi Stone. Yes, born and brought up in America, an honor student at college. Is he a foreigner? I'm not talking. You don't have to talk, Hill. The things you've done and the things you've tried to do speak for themselves. Jim. Hmm? Use that phone on the desk and call Inspector Henderson. Tell him to send a patrol wagon up for these fine specimens. Right, Superman. In the meantime, open that safe for me, Hill. Chances are it contains some interesting documents concerning your activities. I... I don't know the combination. That's a lie. Open it before I break you in two. Inspector Henderson, I tell you I don't know the combination. Would you like me to rip the door off? You have no right oh, to touch Inspector, that. Is that... This is Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. Hold it. Better let me talk to him, Jim. Uh, just a minute, Inspector. Superman wants to talk to you. Thanks, Jim. Hello, Inspector. Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Jimmy and I are at the headquarters of that Guardians of America outfit. We've collared three of them, including the big shot. Superman, Hill's trying to get away. Hold it, Inspector. No, you don't, Hill. Let go of me. I'll let go with this. Cheapest. You knocked him cold. Unfortunately, he'll live. So there you go, Superman. Not not a big fan of the racists. Nope. Not saying, hey, there's two sides to this story. Hold on a second. I'm not going to hit you. I want to hear, no, no. 
<laughs> you well, made fun of this I poor was, kid? When I was buying comics in the in the sixties as a kid, sixties and seventies, you would still find all those uh patriotic things where Superman would say, you know, there's no place for racism and stuff in America. Oh yeah. Very recently the Captain America throwing a shield to the Nazi has gotten big play again. Yeah. I mean we had it we had to be reminded of this. <laughs> Somehow this wasn't an obvious message. So onward from Superman, we go to Destination Freedom. Destination Freedom was Again, launched in a more progressive, well, I guess progressive city, <laughs> a more urban city, uh, WMAQ in Chicago in 1948. It's um, a drama show, um, kind of like You Are There, kind of like um, the Almanac stories, kind of like mm -hmm. retellings of stories. How many, um, there episodes, was, how many episodes did it run? It ran, it ended in 1950. Okay, so it so ran for, for two about years? two or three okay. years, yeah. And it starts off really, really amazing. It peters toward the end, but that's because there are reasons why we'll get to in a minute. Okay. But these were 30-minute dramas of lives and accomplishments of African Americans, and that was the phrase they used back then. It was written by Richard Dunham, and it was so well written by this guy <laughs> that – it was protested by many white supremacy groups, such as the White Knights of Columbus. He tackled people and subjects like um, Duke Ellington, Joe Lewis, Louis Armstrong, Crispus Attucks, Harriet Tubman. <laughs> um, one of the shows, there were two shows I really, really love. One of them I'm just going to mention very briefly, and it is called um, I Am the Minute. And <laughs> it is uh, about the lynching of a... Um, political person in the 1800s. Hmm. You got to listen to that. I wrote up a whole piece on another website about it, which I'll link to from here. Put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Yep. The other one that I really love was um, a show about the um, African-American heart surgeon, Daniel Hell Williams. And it's told from the point of view of one of his patient's hearts. Right. Yeah. That it's this weird, almost avant-garde. So, yeah, so like the 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 episode about the heart, I am the heart, and I am beat, and this is and how it goes wrong and how he gets fixed. The show about the lynching is it starts off a year before. I am the year, I am the month, I am the day, I am the second of his death, and it just I mean his thematic use of of just images and wording mm -hmm. is far beyond a lot of the shows that get. So much more praise. And this show I did not hear of until the last year or two. Right. So again, why did we not – why are these not on the OTR collection lists? Well, we know why, why are these not, not on the OTR collections. Yeah, I am but being facetious. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm giving a question. It was rhetorical. Yeah. So again, these were really good. But of course, Dunham was paid very little for each show. About 150 bucks. Well, when I looked that up, and I know that this is not a perfect match, that's actually fairly good because today that would be around $2,000. Yeah. But you couldn't buy a, a laptop in yeah. 1948. So yeah. it's not a perfect match. But, I, you know, that's that's not bad pay for that, that work. In so days. But anyway. it wasn't bad pay, but it wasn't on the level that oh, sure, other folks sure were getting. That... 
But his writing was so good that Don Amici, the man who invented the telephone, yeah. lured him away to ride a vehicle for him. Man who uh, invented the telephone. Uh, the Don Amici, man. I grew up my grandparents calling the phone the Don Amici. Did they really call it yeah, the Yeah, they Amici? called it the Don Amici, my great-grandmother. So right. after after Dunham got poached by Don Amici, is it Durham um, or Dunham? I want to say Durham, but was I have I been saying Dunham? Yeah, but that, I have I just want to make sure head, we yeah. get it right. Okay, go yep. ahead. So after Durham left the show, mm -hmm. it quickly got changed. You know, it kind of you know they talk about other things rather than African American stuff, and it kind of goes downhill. So it was more just general patriotism, and, and it was white more folk, general so. patriotism. Yeah. Also, the other thing that kind of killed it was it ended in 1950 is McCarthyism, and anti-communism was tightening its grip on America. So anything kind of radical or anything even slightly to the left would be absolutely verboten man yeah it was not good next next up you have something that happened in the 60s and that would be your guy gene shepherd i'm gonna mention this because i'm a gene shepherd guy for all his faults and how he gets everything to be about him this is one of those this is one of those shows where he actually does it and it's not all about him it's actually about everyone around him and yeah, he's there, so it is kind of about him. But but he, he gets at some of the reasons why the civil rights movement had such a weird vibe to it. He describes in this show that we have in the show notes, um, he was actually at— This the, would be the, the March on D.C. March on be, D.C. Right. in 1963. Mm -hmm. And he went to the march, but he didn't go as a journalist. He went in the bus with his local community— he describes the buses and he describes the trip down there. He so this was do... this was not field recordings like he'd done when he did the '64 World's Fair. No, and stuff it wasn't like field that. recordings. No. no, he didn't. He wanted to actually just go experience the day. Okay. And one of the things he gets at was there is this dividing line by which the reporters are behind a rope, and the reporters are sitting up in the stands watching the marchers, and the celebrities are all up in the stands watching the marchers and stuff. Interesting. No one's down. No, there's no journalists talking to the marchers, talking to the people, sweating, passing lunch around to each other. Um, walking you know, around and, scratching. Walking around scratching people. Yeah, you know, and there's and there's Shep doing his thing, and at one point he even says one of his he draw he does a name drop, of course, and he says, yeah, this famous author said, hey Shep, why don't you come up over here? And he's like, no man, I'm sticking down here with the with my peeps or whatever. Yeah, right. But it's an interesting listen to um, a white news person, not news person, but a white journalist, radio person, going to the march and, and, and how his perception of it was. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say about that. It's just Shep, okay. he happened to be in the right place at the right time to say something about other things other than himself in his childhood. <laughs> radio also had other ways of dealing with race issues and one of them of course is rock and roll like i said jubilee was a show there was a segregated show for black music during world war ii and then white music which was everything else when rock and roll kind of got up to the point where it was being sponsored by camel um try as they might to keep them separate the black and white the ones you know they would come together and alan freed for all his faults Mm -hmm. He really worked hard to make that happen. He worked hard to have just kids come in and see the shows and have the performers come in and play. Right. 
And he did. The show started, um, it was sponsored by Camel, Camel Rock and Roll Dance Party. And it starts kind of as a, as a, the last legs of the swing era, big band stuff. Uh-huh. By the mid run of the show, it's Chuck Berry, it's Howling Wolf, it's it's like okay, you know, Duke Ellington has left the building. It's like the passing of the torch, and the audiences were very integrated. It were, we're like you know they well, started. We got? We've got Otis Williams, Chuck Berry, uh, the Flamingos, and then you've got your Bill Haley and the Comets. Yeah, but they played everything. Oh, Della Reese is in there. Oh yeah, dude. Some of the earlier shows, you're gonna love some of the performers because. Like I say, it starts off more as the last gasp of the swing band stuff. Oh, the Trineers. Every, every big – only ran for one summer. Uh-huh. And, or actually summer and spring, I think. Um, spring and summer. Uh, but it, it had a lot of groups. But I, if you listen to the whole run of the show, you can feel the change happen. It went from very, hey, let's swing now with – and then to just like – you know, Chuck Berry, just, they start off the show and they're like, hey, we're rocking and rolling. And it's just the times have changed. Right. Yeah. Well, music started off with loud chords in those days. Chuck Berry would come out and go, but twang and away it would go. It was a very different thing. So. So one of the other things I found while researching this was that radio was used, um, especially um, music radio stations, were used in the 60s. Um, for a lot of information gathering and dissemination in uh, in a lot of uh, black communities, um, there was uh, a book called Radio and the Struggle for Civil Rights mm-hmm. in the South. And they document a lot of stuff. I have a couple of them here I just want to talk about. Um, there was a station, WENN. It hired one of the first traffic helicopters and broadcast traffic reporters to an African-American community. And this is the first time they had no that level of of reporting uh-huh. and the the guy would report on where the police roadblocks were <laughs> that's great but he wouldn't do it he wouldn't do it as like there's a roadblock here or there's a roadblock there he would basically say things like you know um like he would he would couch everything if the gj said don't take 16th avenue because of a real bottleneck it indicated a police wow. roadblock and another word um if he said um, uh, traffic's so bad, bring, bring, be sure to bring your toothbrush. That means there was a demonstration going on that you probably oh would get arrested. Oh, my gosh. That's so clever. Yeah. And everybody got the got the references, huh? And, well, people, you, people were, you know, the slang of the day is the slang of the day. I mean, to this day, my kids say memes that I have no idea what they're talking about, but they know exactly – what over yeah, 9,000 well, is. That's kind of the definition of slang is that, that you're saying things that the people in power won't understand. You're figuring out how to say things uh, metaphorically so that the people in power won't figure out what you're doing. One of the downsides to the radio being used, radio station in Montgomery, Alabama, was co-opted to, to, to let people know that the bus boycotts were over. This was during the whole bus boycott oh, in the 1950s, in the late 1950s, and they used the DJs to say, no, bus boycott has been, no, it's all done. Agreement has been reached in hopes of again, breaking the bus the, boycott. The f- real fake news right there. Yeah, propaganda, tell a lie enough times and people will believe it. By the mid-60s, it got less overt and, and less covert and more mm-hmm. overt. 
um, it just became kind of local radios were mm-hmm. popping up. By the 70s, there were community radios and pirate radio stations. Yeah, there's all kinds of other stuff um, going on. There's all sorts of stuff. But radio throughout all of this, if you look around and you go deeper than just the old-time radio show catalogs, you will find tons of this stuff. And it's just waiting yeah. there. We're, we're only scratching yeah, the surface. I, I, we, can re, we will probably revisit this subject again because we'll be, keep researching it and find new stuff. Well, that's – as you can tell, I'm trailing off here because I still have a list of notes I want to get to, but – we can't get to yeah, everything right. in one There's show. Too much. Well, we'll come back to it then. We'll do another show about this. Yeah. And the other thing I want people to to do is if you know of stuff that we did not hit on, even if we got something wrong oh, and yeah, we yeah. totally get things wrong, um, please comment. Yeah, we're definitely students, not authorities. No, we are definitely fans, not <laughs> – yeah, we're not authorities. Very well put. Get a hold of us by email or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Good. Well, we should tell people what the next one's going to be about. And I'm looking I'm looking forward to doing this. I'm doing the research on it now. I'm researching uh, old-time radio goes to the movies because it was a weird phenomenon that you don't really think about today, but there wasn't TV to show movies on. So when I was a kid growing up in the 60s, uh, studios would sell packages to local TV stations and then you would get a whole bunch of horror movies, for example, or you'd get whatever, you know, a whole bunch of silly romantic movies or whatever. And, and I lapped them up on Sunday afternoons. I liked old movies when I was young. And back in the 40s and the 30s, they didn't have that. So the way they rebroadcast things was to rewrite them as radio shows. And so it's a really interesting thing, and that's going to be the next episode, and I'm looking forward to it. More clip-heavy episode, I promise, because there's a lot. Yeah, of stuff. the reason why we didn't go, the reason why I didn't go clip-heavy on this episode, is these are topics you can't, you can't get a clip of. You guys really need to go if you're interested in this stuff. You're going to want to go in and dig into, into all these shows. Whole, yeah, you got to dive into this deal. stuff. Okay. So because of Dan's beginning research on the movie stuff the podcasts that i run are going to be getting an upgrade yeah because i found a whole bunch of new uh movie related radio shows and so we have one you have one podcast it was just my suggestion uh the hot buttered podcast that was you named it it. you asked for it you did yeah you just did all the heavy lifting so so there's a uh, half a dozen new shows getting filtered into that. So that's going to be fun. And we've also, I've also added a new um, interview show podcast because of some of the interviews I found uh, about um, civil well, what's rights that one and called? stuff. Um, it is called uh, Talk Talk. I think I just called it Talk okay. Radio. Um, it, it will be on the it will be on the list at um, tomwsmf.com. You will find it there. Um, it is a lot of interviews from the 60s and 70s and somewhat of the 80s. I found – because it's not old-time radio show, I didn't mention these, but there's a lot of stuff with like early Malcolm X interviews, uh, James Baldwin stuff. Just I love – Yeah, there's a real revival of James. Many people are talking about James Baldwin. <laughs> He, well, sorry. you know, go ahead. Well, he's he's the he's the forgotten yeah. Baldwin brother. <laughs> I made a specific podcast just for interviews, 
And it was spurred on by a lot of the stuff I was finding for this podcast that didn't fit in with old time radio show stuff. And then they've added a bunch of other. All stuff right. Well. well, those are on, uh, what would you call that? Where, where are we going to find that? Uh, Tom WSMF. You will find that on Tom WSMF.com. There's a list. There's a link there to all my podcasts. There are 22 now, I think. Uh, and, uh, and you can go to our podcasts webpage, which is our show of shows.com. And you can get the podcast feed at our show of shows.com slash our show of shows RSS dot RSS. And you can email us Dan at our show of shows.com Tom at our show of shows.com. And we're on Facebook. That's our show of shows at fa- on Facebook. Yeah. If you go to Facebook and look for our show of shows, you will get to okay. our page. And we're also on Twitter we're on the Twitters at our show of shows at our show. The at sign and our show of shows. Great. As, as the, the kids say. Kids as the kids tweet. have the, the, the hashtag kids stuff. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back before you know it with the next episode about old time radio goes to the movies. But until then, I'm Dan Howland and he's not.